Sailing God's People with your host, Dennis Beard. Oh, earth, 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 hear ye the word of the Lord. And it focuses on Zerubbabel. There are those that are born in Babylon, but to come you out of her and be you separate. Now we're going to take a look at two genealogies. One is going to be the kingly. That is the, that the kingly throne from Abraham to David to Christ. We're going to see it's 42 generations. Then we're going to take a loop, which goes according to the flesh, according to Mary's lineage, which will be through David also, but according to the flesh. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to find that in these two genealogies, one according to the side of Joseph, which was not the physical father of Jesus, for that is the Holy Ghost, the Most High. Because that which is born of Mary is of the Holy Ghost with the Most High overshadowing her. The word of the Lord coming to her and as she is visited by Gabriel and he gives her the word. Woman, highly favored of God, that you're going to bear a son and he will be called, shall be called the Son of the Highest, capital S-O-N. And uh, at that, his name is Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jehovah's salvation, born in the city of David, Christ the Lord, God Almighty. And that's Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as soon as Mary said, how can this be? Seeing that I know not a man, it was not a doubt, but a sincere question. Here's a 14-year-old virgin, never known a man, and here she has a salutation. He's a spouse to one, Joseph, but they had not been married. And then when the angel tells her, again, you're going to have a child. And it is of the Holy Ghost, for the Most High will overshadow you. And you will bear a son, little S-O-N. And he shall be called the Son of the Highest, capital S-O-N. And he shall save his people from their sins. As soon as she said, Be it done, and thine handmaid, according to thy word, immediately, by receiving that word, she was impregnated by it. The word made flesh. But we have two genealogies. We know that Jesus and the Matthew, according to the genealogy of Jesus, and at this time of the year, we talk about the birth of Jesus, and we know uh, that Jesus was not born on December the 25th. Now, people uh, celebrate Christmas and say it's the, the child birth Jesus coming to the world on that date. However, it's not most know that. However, with that said, we know from the biblical account that he was crucified in Passover. His ministry was three and a half years, 42 months, time, times and a half, cut off in the midst of the week, but not for himself. And during that time, he began his ministry about the age of 30. If we look at that calendar and the seasons of God, then he was born, not in Passover, but six months 
a half a year, and that difference would be in tabernacles. What day in tabernacles? Well, he is the first beginning of the creation of God, which would be on the eighth day. That final day and the first day, in that beginning or the eighth day, and from that day forward, we find that in the number of new beginnings in Ezekiel, then from the eighth day forward, I will receive you. The eighth day is the first day of the week or the eighth day or the third day that he was resurrected. Now, not getting to all that, we want to focus on the genealogy of Jesus as he is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is of the seed of David. But we're going to find a Kaniah, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim curse there in this genealogy, which most will say, and especially the, the Jewish, Israel, Orthodox Jews will say that Jesus cannot be the Messiah because of the Kaniah curse. And it is stated in Matthew the first chapter, verse 12, through Jeconiah, through the Kaniah. But we also have four women listed there, which you never place the genealogy through women, always through the men. And some of them are not of reputable report. Rahab the harlot. We have uh, a Ruth. But what we want to take a look at and focus on is how this comes together and why. And at what season will it be for us prophetically? When we see Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter, in reading, it talks about this cedar work. Now, in the previous podcast, we went into the cedar work that God will uncover the cedar work. And at that time, it would be a habitation of every foul creature up in the littles and the doorpost of it in this house that is totally desolate, left of you desolate. And that talking about the cedar work that he would uncover the cedar work. Now, the cedar, to reiterate again, the walls of the most holy place that is the holiest of all in Solomon's temple, which was dedicated in the seventh month, not in the first month of the religious year, being Abib or Nisan, the 14th day of the first month, not Passover. That was when Moses' tabernacle was dedicated. And we find about that same time, the church begins on the day of Pentecost, right after that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then 50 days later. So we see during that time, that's indicative of Moses' tabernacle. There it had no floor. The earth ground itself was the floor. There it had no two pillars of Yaqin and Boaz. It's dedicated in Passover. That's Moses' tabernacle. And we find that if we set that as a temple man, the tabernacle man 
up, we see that it has no legs. The temple pillars of Yaking and Moaz would be the legs, the mobility of it to take the whole world and cover the world. Yaking and Boaz, in it he will provide, and in it is strength. Yaking and Boaz. Yaking, he will provide. Boaz, in it is strength, the same as Ezekiel, strengthened of God, strengthened of Elohim. But we don't find that in Moses' tabernacle. We find an outer court. There we have the brazen altar, the altar of burnt offering. Then we have the labor with the foot. And then we go in that veil, and we find to the south we have the candlestick. 22 knops of bowls to feed the seven lamps with a half egg of beaten olive oil going into the knops of bowls to feed the seven lamps, which it has to be prepared to give light over against the sanctuary, the table of shoe bread, where we have the continual face bread, Two rows, six in each row. And that table of shoe bread and uh, that shatine wood overlaid with gold. And then we go to the, the altar of incense, the golden censer. And it's in the sanctuary, the holy place, during that time, except on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement. Then, going through that veil, we go into the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is also called the Testimony. And the testimony there did not have the two colossal olive trees of cherubim. It only had in the most holy place, the ten by ten by ten, holiest of all, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside it, we had the tables of stone, the Decalogue given to Moses, Exodus 20. And then we had Aaron's rod that budded, brought forth almonds, was placed in there, as well as the manna, the pot of manna, inside the Ark of the Covenant, as a witness in the last days. There we have that called the testimony, and that's all we have in the holiest of all, the most holy place. Now, as long as the first covenant stood, the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest, but Jesus. Coming there, that is to say, his flesh, the veil being broken, rent from top to bottom, that is to say, Jesus' flesh, that we all now have boldness to enter into the holiest of all, to come boldly before the throne of God. Don't have to go through a prophet now. We don't have to go through Urim and Thummim. We can go direct to the throne of God. Every born-again believer has that right. But there's also seasons that's given to us. And that was dedicated, Moses' tabernacle dedicated in Passover. We find that the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John show the four faces of Jesus. In Genesis 3.24, after the fall, and Adam, by one man's disobedience, sin came to the world, and death by sin, that death then reigned. Sin reigned unto death by this one man's transgression. 
and we're given the first proto-evangel in Genesis 3.15. God talking to the snake, the serpent, and said, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, the woman. And uh, there, and he said, that is going to bruise your head, and you, serpent, will bruise his heel, not her heel, his heel. That means the woman will be saved as she continues in faith with all sobriety and modesty in childbearing. Now, it talks about the spiritual church, the woman, bringing forth a child, the man, child Christ in you, the hope of glory, and shall be saved. Now, of course, Mary brought forth that man, child, butter, butter and honey, Shall everyone eat that's left in the land? For that woman, that virgin, shall conceive and bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. That is God with us. Butter and honey, shall everyone eat that's left in the land? Butter and honey, shall he eat? He makes the way for all of us, the way, the truth, and the life. The forerunner has entered in, making the way for us. So therefore, there is of necessity. We're going to have another temple. It goes from Moses' tabernacle. No legs, no uh, mobility of it. We get the law, Aaron's rod that budded, and the pot of manna in the testimony. And then in tabernacles, that is in Tishri, the seventh month, in Ethneim. We're going to have Solomon's temple dedicated then. It's finished in bull a year earlier, almost a year earlier. But it's dedicated in the season of tabernacles. That is the month of Tishri. And that's Ethneim when Solomon's temple is dedicated. And there we have the Shekinah glory. And we have three different levels now, not just one. And we have a fur floor in the most holy place. Five steps going up into it. And inside, we see that there are two colossal olive trees that are carved work and made cherubim, ten cubits high, with a five-cubit wingspan of each wingspan, being then each wing being five cubits, on each cherubim, two cherubim would cover 20 cubits, the width of the holiest of all. Touching the walls, and here we again, we talk about the walls of salvation, is a carved engraving work. The engraving of an engraver of a signet. There's a sign. And we're focusing on that sign because that is the sign of the sealing of the saints of God in the last days. The Revelation 7 apocalyptic sealing of the servants of God in their forehead. And they have to touch that wall. A touch is to receive. A touch of the master's hand, we receive. Whatever the obedience to the master's voice. The cherubim touch each other. They're one, one mind, one accord in the unity of the faith. Ten cubits high, five cubit wingspan, and they touch 
shadowing the mercy seat. Under the shadow of the Most High, God dwelling between the cherubim. Now there are two cherubim and that Ark of the Covenant, the testimony, which are in the mercy seat of the mercy seat and look toward the mercy seat. Now that's in the testimony. However, there are on each side now in Solomon's temple a carved, uh, engraved cherubim, 10 cubits high, on either side of the testimony, shadowing the mercy seat. Paul spoke of this in Hebrews 9, 5, and said we cannot now speak particularly about these cherubims shadowing the mercy seat, covering the mercy seat. Can't do it. We're not in the right season. And during that time, in the tabernacle of Moses, there were no colossal cherubim. Just the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony, and the mercy seat. They're having the blood sprinkled seven times before the mercy seat. There is what the cherubim looked at. They're of the mercy seat and the mercy seat and look toward the mercy seat. What are they looking at? the blood of Jesus Christ. At that point, then we look to the same articles again, but in a different season, not in Passover, not in Pentecost. But now we're looking at it in the season of tabernacles. Much time has passed. Now we have three different levels. And going into that third level, we're going to find that there are two colossal cherubim in there made of olive trees and overlaid with gold. And each of the wingspan, 10 cubits high, but each of the wingspan, five cubits on each wing, each cherubim being 10 cubits in its total wingspan, touching the other cherub, there, touching the other cherubim walk, cherubim's wing with the other wall. So each cherubim is touching uh, the other cherub and the wall. Now in the wall, we talked about, there's going to be the carved engraving work of cherubim. And it's an engraving of an engraver, an engraving of a signet. A carved work. A curious work. And that is God's work here in the last days, not in Passover, not in Pentecost, but in the season of tabernacles, wherein Solomon's temple was dedicated at that season. And it's in the season of tabernacles that the understanding of the book that Moses wrote of all the law, which is the Pentateuch, the Torah put in the side of the ark of the covenant in the testimony were taking out at the season of tabernacles and read to the people, Ezra, that had upon a wooden little uh, 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 pulpit and gave that reading to the people and God gave them the understanding in the season of tabernacles. The same is true today. Now in this season, God's going to give all of us the understanding of the book unto all truth, not partial not part truth, not part knowledge, not seeing through a glass darkly, but 
we both open face, beholding as in the glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. Now, the wings of the cherub touching the walls. There will be three things engraved on those walls and the cedar work. Focusing on the cedar work now. And he will uncover the cedar work. And that's the engraving, the work of God, the work of the Holy Ghost. And there will be cherubims, palm trees, and open flowers. And open flowers there we're going to see in the same way the palm trees and in the cherubims in the season of tabernacle. Not the season of Passover, not the season of Feast of Weeks, but the season of tabernacle. That will be not the corn harvest of of wheat and barley, but it'll be the full corn harvest of wheat and barley and the fruit harvest of oil and wine. That's the reason we see open flowers. The full fruit and the full blooming of it, the fullness of it. And we see the the palm trees, which were indicative of being uh, delivered out of Egypt on the housetops under the heaven, and they would build booths across. And we find the cherubim there. And the cherubim being the work. And what work is that? Well, we know it's a work of the Lord. It's a strange work, bringing to pass his act, a strange act. We find there at that first proto-evangel, after Adam had fell, by one man's disobedience, sin came to the world, death by sin. We find in Genesis 3.24 that God then set cherubim, capital C, at the east end of the Garden of God, along with a flaming sword. Now, Jesus said, you think that I came to send peace, but rather a sword upon the earth. The son of man at variance. The father against his son, mother against her daughter, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. That sword, there is the sword, the two-edged sword of the word of God. And there in Genesis 3.24, the cherubim, capital C, are the four faces of Jesus Christ to keep the way of the tree of life. The cherubim, capital C, and a flaming sword. We know the flaming sword is the word of God, and the cherubim is Jesus and his four faces and that glory that he is revealed in, in those four faces. We see in 2 Corinthians 3 that God, God has shown forth his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's the excellence of the power. It might be of God, not of ourselves. And then what does it reveal? The Lord is that spirit. Jesus is that spirit. He is the Father of glory. He is the Word. He is the Holy Ghost. He is the Son of God, the redemptive office of that spirit. And he is the Son of Man, the kingdom office of that spirit, the Word. We all with open face beholdings in the glass, the glory of the Lord, how? Through that liberty given to us. First thing it reveals, the Lord is that spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17. We have to know that. Jesus is the spirit. He is the Lord. He is that spirit. Christ is the Father of glory. He's also the Son of God. He is every office of the Spirit. Christ is. There, and it says, 
and the Lord is that spirit. We realize that. We receive that. Then he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, we're to stand in the liberty wherein Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That means that we're not in bondage to sin or to the works of the flesh, but we grow up in him in all things and all truth. Then it goes on and says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And what is that liberty? We all looking in the perfect law of liberty are changed into the same image. How? Through the Spirit of God. For it's Christ that worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. That's a perfect law of liberty James talks about. If we, looking in that perfect law of liberty, there continue therein, then it changes us. We're not conformed to this world. We've been transformed by the renewing of our mind that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for each individual member is through obedience unto righteousness, which will yield the peaceable fruits of holiness without which no man shall see the Lord coming unto perfection to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says, uh, we all with open face now. Jesus has already shown us the way the forerunners entered in. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Grace and truth came by him. He is that spirit of truth. And he says, we all, the body of Christ, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, that perfect law of liberty, are changed into the same image, not partial knowledge, not part truth, not seen through a glass darkly, but we're changed into the same image of Jesus Christ. From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now that is the will of God for us, which he compacts together, compacted the body of Christ together, and to that measure of each part. What measure? The measure of faith in each part. That ever joint supplies to the edifying of itself in love. But we have to do the will of God. We have to know our part, our calling, and abide in the calling wherein we're called. Each individual calling according to the measure of faith. God has put the body and fitly framed together according to his will. And it will be in the last days mobile. It will take the whole world. For this gospel, the king will be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. It has two legs, Yaquin and Boaz, which is the mobility of it. What we're focusing on, focusing on now is that testimony, testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. And that testimony is not in the Pentecostal season. We do not find the testimony in there. The testimony of Jesus is within the veil. It's unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and to a perfect man. So the cherubim touched the walls with their extended wings that were not present in Moses' tabernacle, but are in the temple of God, the body of Christ in these last days, touching the walls of cedar overlaid with gold, which there understand that we understand the work of the cherubim, the palm trees, and the open flowers. 
in the last season, and not only corn harvest, but oil and wine, the fruit harvest as well. And at this point, that's where we're focused and what's going to bring it together in this genealogy of Jesus. Now we see in Jeremiah 22, he talks about a time of judgment. Now everyone's built a wall, what we call the wall of salvation. And at that time, that wall in the true temple of God, which temple we are in the body of Christ, has three different engravings, that of of that of the cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance against which is such there is no law, Galatians 5.22. When we'll judge them by the fruit. We'll judge a tree by its fruit. But looking at, the testimony, the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, which is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We're looking at the genealogy there of uh, building the tabernacle of David in the book of Acts. And the tabernacle of David is this tabernacle that we're talking about of the time of the Gentiles being grafted into the vine as wild olive branches, but then that will come to an end. And... Uh, the time of the Gentiles will be over, and then he will turn to national Israel. The work of the ministry that we're talking about in the genealogy of Jesus Christ is that in that seed of Abraham, seed of David, in the body of Christ, we're going to see in Matthew 1 that these are the generations of Jesus Christ, the genealogy. starts with Abraham. And there's 14 generations into David. Now, this is the kingly lineage, giving Jesus the right to the throne of his father, David. But we're also going to see Kaniah there. We're going to see women are there and not of a high, high reputation either. And definitely a Kaniah curse but through the kingly line. And we're going to see there's 42 generations. And it starts with Abraham to David, 14 generations, and then from David to the carrying away into Babylon, 14 generations, and then 13 generations to Jesus, who is born of Joseph, who is called Christ who was born Jesus, there is the 13th generation or the 41st generation. And then who is called Christ is the 42nd generation. That is a generation that would be counted for the seed that Jesus said this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. All the things of faith. That is the last generation, the Christ generation the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, that will inherit all things. But as we look at the genealogy, we see that in Matthew 1, verse 12, we see that there is that Kaniah curse. And when we look at that, 
it says over there in Jeremiah 22 that this man, Kaniah, we look at Jeremiah 22, verse 24. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet, we're focusing on the signet. That's a sign. It's an engraving of an engraver. There's your walls. There's your walls of cedar where you have the cherubim, palm trees, and the open flowers within the veil, the last day work of God for the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the ministry. And a signet is the sign, S-I-G-N-E-T, Alaf Tav. It's the fullness of Jesus from the Alaf through the Tav. In Ezekiel 9, you seal those that are crying out for the sins and abominations done in Jerusalem and set a mark upon their forehead. Those are one sealed. That mark is a tav, not a loft, beth, gamel, dalef, all the way, any of the letters, but all the way to the N. In other words, the A to the Z. You've completed all, full circle. You have obeyed Jesus in all things. And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and to a perfect man. Obedience unto righteousness and to holiness. That is the top. That's the sealing mark. Now we're pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That is in all things, all truth. Paul said, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if you be any otherwise minded, God will reveal this even unto you. This is a strange work. It's bringing to pass this act a strange act. It has surprised the hypocrite to not know that God was going to do this work in the last days. And he said, is this not sealed up among my treasures, saith God? For the Lord will judge his people. Judgment first begins at the house of God. And the righteous scarcely be saved. Then where shall the end of the sinner and the ungodly appear? Well, there's a signet, a signet upon, God said, though Kaniah was a signet upon my right hand. He said, yea, yet would I pluck him thence. Kaniah, a signet upon his right hand. And the Lord said, I will give them, I'll give thee into the hand of them, that seek thy life, Kaniah, and into the hand of them whose faith you fear, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we know that Kaniah is not going to finish his reign. He will fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar in the captivity, just as the Lord has spoken here even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans, soothsayers, prognosticators. And I will cast thee out and thy mother that bare thee into another country where you were not born, and there shall you die. But to the land whereunto they 
They desire to return. Return unto the Lord. For he's torn, he will heal us. He's smitten, he will bind us up. We're seeking for that, that city whose builder and maker is God. We desire for that. But that place where you desire to return, God says, that place thither shall they not return. Is this man Kaniah? Now the man, as we speak about, there's a man of sin. We're either in the man Christ Jesus, he's the head and we are the body of the Christ, making one man fills heaven and earth. And we're the feet generation. Or we're in that other man, that cursed man, the man that will not return to God. And Kaniah, as his very name, means strength of the Lord. That he would be right with God at one time and then turn. Is this man Kaniah a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed? Not only Kaniah, but his seed as well. And are cast into a land which thou know not. What are we talking about? The land of Babylon. What is that Babylon? Mr. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of this world. A false church. I know that's a spiritual significance, but there's also this natural seed. And we're going to see that Kenai had seven sons that is listed in First Chronicles 3, and none of them will rule or reign upon his throne, just as the Lord said. And it says there, O earth, 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 hear ye the word of the Lord. Now, the Lord says that three times. It's a very pronounced, emphatic admonition for us. O earth, 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 hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write you this man childless. He will not break forth. He will not bring forth Christ in him. The woman bringing forth a man child, that will bruise Satan's head the seed of David, the seed of Abraham, which seed we are in the body of Christ as we walk in truth. And he says, write this man, childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, in his lifetime. And certainly he did not. For no man of his seed shall prosper, all seven sons, and not one of them prosper to the throne setting up on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. We don't use a woman through the lineage. And here's a Kaniah curse through the lineage of Jesus, according to the kingly side. But then we look at the collateral line in Luke 3. And we find there, as we look at the one there in Matthew, we're going to see that there is a man that's listed there. In Matthew 1, in the 42 generations, and that is uh, that we see Zerubbabel. You see in Matthew 1, 12, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias, that's Kaniah, 
beget Zaphiel, and Seth Zelathiel beget Zerubbabel. Zelathiel is Sheltiel, and that is son of prayer. And in every place we have Zerubbabel, that is uh, born in Babylon, to come out and be a separate. We're going to find Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, here in the kingly lineage. And that being of the royal lineage through Joseph. But then we look at Luke 3. And we see there in Luke 3, verse 27, talking about, now we're talking about the physical fleshly line, not the kingly line, not the royal line, but the physical line all the way back up to Adam, who was the son of God. Not a capital S-O-N, but a little S-O-N, created of God. And it starts, and we see that instead of going from Abraham to David, carrying away into Babylon, and to Jesus, who is called Christ, speaking of us in the final generation of the Christ generation, Jesus in you, then we're seeing the natural seed. We start with Jesus, and it goes all the way back to Adam. And as we see, it begins in Luke 3, Verse 23, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which is the son of Heli, and here we go. Now we're going Mary's, Mary's lineage on her side, which was also of the lineage of David, but on, not on the kingly, but on the fleshly side, as we see here with Heli. Notice that we're going to see Zerubbabel again on the fleshly side, in verse 27. Luke 3, verse 27, and it says, which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of Resa, and which was the son of Zerubbabel, which was the son of Selethiel, or Sheldiel, which was the son of Neri. Now, we'll get into a discussion on that later on, but their point we want to make there is that Zerubbabel, son of Shalthiel, is in both lines, the royal line as well as the physical. And what does this mean? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Yes. But it's talking about that there is a word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. He's on both sides. It's Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit of God through that royal lineage of the seed of David, according to the promise given to David, Psalm 132, 11. The Lord has sworn unto David in truth and will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body, David, that's the royal kingly line that I, God himself, will set upon thy throne, the throne of David forever. Now that will happen according to it being fulfilled in the millennial reign where there'll be one king and his name one over all the earth. But then on the other hand, we have this son of Sheltiel, Zerubbabel again, born in Babylon, on the fleshly side going all the way back to Adam. What is the purpose of that? 
And we're going to see that it is in Haggai that there is uh, this work of the ministry. And he says uh, that God spoke a time of judgment, a time of testing and trials upon the earth, going into a trial on the earth. Oh, earth, 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 hear you the word of the Lord. For it is a trial upon the whole world. And it's also, that's Jeremiah 22, but it's also listed here in Haggai 2, the feast prophet, the festive prophet. And it's on and in the season of tabernacles on the 21st day of the seventh month in Haggai 2. And at this time, the Lord says, I'll shake all nations. And the desire of all nations will come. All the silver and the gold is mine. And I'll make the glory of the latter house greater than that of the former. Hmm. Well, it's a time that the body of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust and come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in that Christ generation. That 42nd generation that you read as king of kings and lord of lords uh, in that Christ generation of Jesus in you that you come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's that 42nd generation in Matthew 1. But here is the, the fleshly lineage on Mary's side having the same Shelteel and Zerubbabel again. Why? Because it's there that we have the kingly and the fleshly coming into one Zerubbabel. Jesus Christ has come of the flesh and to the point where that we have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust, but it's through the judgments of God that are in the earth men will learn righteousness. And we see that. Then uh, notice in verse, Haggai 2, verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and to every work of their hands and that which they offer there is uh, unclean. Nothing's acceptable to God. Nobody is uh, crucifying the flesh with affection for the lust. They go there with their sins and not crucifying the flesh, and with their lustly desires of the world. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, there's a time coming, a change. From before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, watch what he says, when one came to a heap of 20, 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not unto me, saith the Lord. That's a reproof of rebuke on our uh, that we as ministers, especially ministers, should be leading the body of Christ in truth. We fail. We see in Hosea 6, he's talking about the same thing. It's all through the word of God. Come and let us return to the Lord, the true God, the eternal life of Jesus, only doctrine of Christ, the true, real Jesus. For he said, I have torn and I will heal you. The Lord has smitten and he will bind us up. 
He's trying to get us to turn to him. The judgments down here are not to destroy us, but to get us to turn to the real Jesus, not to a denominational Jesus or something that is handed to us that the tradition of the elders have made the word of God in effect, but the real Jesus. And he says, after the second day, I'll revive you. We're well after the second day. We're in the third day, the third thousand year. We're in 2021. Going into 2022, just a few days. He said, and in the third day, which day we're in, I will raise you up and you will live in my sight. You will come to know, to follow on, to know the Lord. He is going forth as prepared as the morning. There's a new season. Coming forth as the morning. The night endureth, weeping endureth for a night, but joy comes in the morning. If we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he will come to us, parousia. He will come to us as the rain, not a rapture, a rain. Because all these things that we have in truth, the things that have delivered to us, that is now the things which must shortly come to pass in the things of faith. The faith is the substance of things so far, the evidence of things not seen, that we must receive these things for the heavens must receive Jesus until the times of the restitution of all things and the restoration of all things, which is not only in Elijah ministry, there which is restoration, but a judgment of God, the judgments of God upon the earth for men to learn righteousness as he did with Moses, along with the redemption miracles that he did himself in the days of his flesh. We will do all of those. Something that the world has never, ever seen before. And he said, he will come to us as a rain, the parousia, the former and the latter rain. Now we're to ask of the Lord, rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make bright clouds, send forth showers, everyone grass in the field. Notice what he says here. I smote you with a blessing, with mildew, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands. Yet you turn not unto me, saith the Lord, consider now from this day and upward, going higher, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, Unto it, consider it. Why? Because the hands of Zerubbabel. Notice Zerubbabel's on the kingly side as, as well as the fleshly side. Matthew is Matthew one twelve as well as Luke 3.27. Why? Because it is Zerubbabel. His hands have laid the foundation of the temple of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And his hands will finish it. He will bring the headstone the final headstone, the final completion stone, the capstone, the headstone crying grace, grace unto it. It is happening, uh, and the Lord preparing his body for the greatest work that the world has ever seen in the manifestation of Jesus Christ in and through the body of flesh. That's the reason why Zerubbabel is on both sides, not only the kingly side, but on the fleshly side as well. And it's the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel because it's on not only the kingly side, the Christ, but the fleshly side in flesh. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And there's a mystery there shown in Zerubbabel on both sides. The fleshly in Luke, Mary's side, as well as the kingly side of Joseph in Zerubbabel. And he says that 
foundation was laid, he said, is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. Remember there on the walls there in the cedar work, on the walls in the holiest of all, the most holy place, we had open flowers. We had palm trees. We had the oil coming forth. Those are the cherubim bringing forth the two olive trees, the two olive branches are the sons of oil. Throne room revelation, golden oil, not a half egg of beaten olive oil that we have prepared through the Holy Ghost, but from God himself. From this day will I bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came into Haggai, the feast prophet, in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, speak to Zerubbabel. Remember, he's on both sides. He's not only the Matthew one in the kingly side, that Christ generation side, but he's also on that fleshly side of Mary as recorded in Luke. He said, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, not king of Judah, governor, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. The Lord has said, I will shake not only the earth only, as I did in the days of Moses, in the great deliverance of my God's people from Egypt. That will no more even come into mind for the great work that he'll do in the last days. And he says uh, that he will not only, yet he's, Hebrews 12, the Lord hath promised, yet once more he shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Here it is. He said, I shake the heavens and the earth. Why? And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this earth. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them and the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. It'll be total chaos, one against another. And the chariots are a person's ideology. That's their faith belief system. The horses, what they do in their uh, manifestation of what they believe. The ones of true God, Christ in them, the hope of glory. There's an effectual working of the Holy Ghost upon the heart in the spirit and it's outward reflection in life. They manifest if living epistles of Jesus Christ. But these ones of the world will be the synagogue of Satan and they will manifest the world. The lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, and the lust of the flesh. And the world here in everything and all the gods of this world, this earth, will famish. Oh, earth, earth, earth. Hear ye the word of the Lord. God's doing it now. In that day, Say the Lord of hosts, the Lord of Sabaoth. Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, the people of God that have come to the measure of the statue of Jesus that are sealed in Revelation 7, the fathers that have known him that's from the beginning, and my servant, the son of Sheltiel, the sons of prayer, saith the Lord, and will make you as a signet. That is the sealing right there. 
of Revelation 7. You are not only being sealed, but you are the object of the sealing of the signet. You are the sign aloft of. It's an engraving of an engraver, the engraving of a signet. What's a signet? Zerubbabel. Why is he on both sides? Because he's on the Christ side. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he's on the fleshly side, according to Mary. Jesus Christ has come with the flesh, and it is a work there in Zerubbabel that he will, the body of Christ, that have come to that measure, the statue of Jesus. Not in the sweet by and by, but here in their clothing sackcloth, in the days of our flesh, that we will manifest Jesus to us, the work of the ministry. He said, I have chosen you, saith the Lord of hosts. There you have Zerubbabel. That's what God's doing now. We'll bring more on it. You'll see there in the work of the ministry is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, Zerubbabel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the signet. He's the sign of love, God. He is the ones that are sealed in Revelation 7 that will do the Lord's will. If this has struck a chord with you and the Holy Ghost bears witness with you, we would like to hear from you. We'd like to join with you in faith. If you believe in the Jesus and only doctrine of Christ and the real Jesus, or have questions even, we'd love to hear from you. Our country code in our phone is one plus, area code 903-746-4885. That's my cell. You got to leave a message out there on our ministry phone. I'll get right back to you. Or you can write to me, Dennis Beard, Post Office Box 2906, Longview, Texas, zip code 75606. Message us over the website, sailinggodspeople.org, sailinggodspeople.com, or dennisbeard.org. We want to thank you for your prayerful support and your generous offerings. Whereby we want to thank you for that. Just able to keep the podcast coming to you over the sites. Until the next time, this is Brother Dennis Beard saying, Behold, the real Jesus.